can't believe that Spencer had the audacity to pick out Christmas songs after what I preached last week. We haven't done reviews yet for this year, have we, elders? Have we done reviews yet? No, I'm teasing. I, I love the Christmas song. I even got to learn a new bass line, and that was kind of fun, so I'm all right with it. I'm not saying we can't do Christmas. I'm just saying that we sometimes forget about Thanksgiving. Amen? And so it's okay to throw in a little Christmas here and there. I've already got lights up on the outside of the house and a snowman on the front porch and that kind of stuff. So we'll sprinkle in a little Christmas. But we can't forget about Thanksgiving. In fact, or, uh, I have a poem that I want to share with you concerning Thanksgiving. And if you want this uh, after the service, uh, you can have it just in case uh, it touches you this much. Uh, it says, I ate too much turkey, I ate too much corn, I ate too much pudding and pie. I'm stuffed up with muffins and too much stuffing, I'm probably going to die. I piled up my plate and I ate and I ate, but I wish I had known when to stop, for I'm so crammed with yams, sauces, gravies, and jams that my buttons are starting to pop. I'm so full of tomatoes and french fried potatoes, my stomach is swollen and sore, but there's still some dessert, so I guess it won't hurt if I eat just a little bit more. Can I get an Amen. All right, very good. Anybody relate to that? Anybody going to do that on Thursday? All right, well, welcome to the second Sunday of Thanksgiving season. We started Thanksgiving season last week, and I, I really think we need to push this. This needs, I don't know, I'm going to get a hold of Hallmark. Uh, we're going to start our own Thanksgiving movies on the Hallmark Channel or something. like. Can we do that? Okay, very good. I just feel like it's, uh, you know, the forgotten holiday again, and... Um, uh, I do want to say I am, I am thankful uh, for so many things. The Lord has blessed me uh, so much. I'm thankful for the staff that I get to work with, all of them even. I mean, I'm not going to put any, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm thankful for all of them. And I think uh, Kendall and Lauren and Spencer all do a great job. And I'm so thankful for everything that, that they're doing. I get the uh, privilege to work with a great team. And I'm going to do my best to have a great attitude during this season of Thanksgiving, because I believe that the number one enemy of Thanksgiving is complaining. The number one enemy of Thanksgiving is griping and grumbling. You call it whatever you want to call it to describe a bad attitude. doesn't really matter. I think it's the number one enemy of giving thanks to the Lord, and I believe it's offensive to the goodness of God when all we do is gripe and complain. When we sit back and we look at all the good things that God has given us, yet we choose to focus on those things that cause us to gripe and cause us to complain, I believe it is an offense to God. And I don't think it's good for you either. It's not good for your health. Studies have shown that few things are more detrimental to your health than a bad attitude, and here's why. The Bible says you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Whatsoever you think, so are you, so to speak. And so our, our attitude uh, begins with our mindset, and if our perspective is stuck in negativity, then everything else that we do, our bodies, our, our behaviors, uh, our, our mental state, our emotional state, even our physical health is going to begin to take on this negative downward posture because it all begins with our mindset. This is partially why Paul said we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Last week we talked about what Thanksgiving was and what it looks like. 
This week, I want to talk about the opposite of thanksgiving, and that is ingratitude. So what is the definition of ingratitude? Well, here's what the dictionary says. Good old Merriam-Webster defines ingratitude as the failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another, the forgetfulness of or poor return of kindness. And so what ingratitude is, is it's the choice that we make to refuse to recognize the kindness or the goodness that we have been shown. It's carrying with us this mindset and this spirit of just being a grumpy person. Last week we talked about how the Bible is full of stories that show uh, different people carrying out acts of thanksgiving and showing their gratitude and how we could pick from a lot of different examples in the Bible and we landed on Noah and we, we know that one of the things that Noah did, the very first things that he did when he stepped off the ark was to build an altar and to, to worship the Lord and show his thanksgiving. There's all kinds of, of examples of thanksgiving in the Bible. There's also all kinds of examples of ingratitude in the Bible. It's full of stories where people, uh, they had this heart of ingratitude. Some of the most disheartening stories in the Bible, I believe, originated from someone who had a heart of ingratitude. You think back to the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed his brother Abel. Both brothers, the story goes, uh, offered a sacrifice to God. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Cain's was not. And so knowing Cain's sacrifice was given from an ungrateful heart, God rejected his offering. And because of Cain's ungrateful spirit, it eventually led to his pride being wounded. And then that festered into hatred for his brother to the point of murdering his own brother. And it started from this attitude of ingratitude. King David, he's another example. David, he lived a blessed life. The Lord, he blessed him in his kingdom. He had a flourishing kingdom. He was successful as a king. He had a wife who loved him, a healthy family. He, he had good health. God provided for him. However, the moment he shifted his uh, attention from the goodness of God, and the mercies that were very evident in his life, and he started to focus on a neighbor lady who was taking a bath on the rooftop, he got himself in trouble. He allowed his heart to follow his lusting eyes, and he coveted what he didn't have. His heart, instead of focusing on all the good things that God had blessed him with, he started looking for something that he didn't have. He became ungrateful, and in turn, his ungrateful spirit led to an incredible sin of an adultery, and then that led to murder, and then that led to cover-up. And we know that David repented of this sin, and he got himself right with the Lord, and he wrote all kinds of magnificent psalms because of it. But when we think about in fact, when I ask you, what's the first thing you think of when you think about David? Some of you might think of David and Goliath. Some of you might think of some other stories. But most people think of this failure. They think David and Bathsheba. That's the first thing that usually comes to mind. His life was scarred by this horrible mistake that he made because of the ungratefulness in his heart, because of the ingratitude. His, his focus shifted from this life of grace, charis. Remember we talked about that last week, that word C-H-A-R-I-S, this life of charis, the Lord's, the Lord's grace. Instead of focusing on that, it shifted from the Lord's grace and forgetting everything that God had done for him to wanting something that he should have never even thought about. 
And I would argue that all of these heinous sins that we read about in the Bible, almost all of them started out with this little sly sin that we really don't think about all that much of ingratitude. When we get to the point where we are ungrateful for what God has done and we start to look at other things in our lives that we really shouldn't even be looking into, then we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And then we get on that slippery slope and we start to do things that we never dreamed we were capable of doing. Scottish philosopher David Hume wrote this. Of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and, un and unnatural is ingratitude. God has wired us to give thanks. And when we go against that, when we go against that natural inclination to return thanks to, what God, uh, to God for what he's done for us, then we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. Early philosophers understood this. Scientists are figuring out that gratitude is the wellspring of life. However, though it may be one of the least apparent sins, I think it drives a costly price. I want us to examine some of the attitudes that Israel had in the Old Testament. I want us to look at some examples of grumbling when the Israelites were exiting Egypt. We know the story how Israel was in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. They'd been in the wilderness about 45 days. Their resources start to run dry. They're running out of food. They're starting to, to see everything kind of go away and they're hungry and they're exhausted and, and they're probably starting to gripe at one another and the excitement of escaping their enemies all of a sudden is dwindling to wishing they were back where they had started you know they had this physical need in their life that was taking their attention off of all of the good things that God had done for for them and they started to focus on these physical needs and their bellies start to rumble and as their bellies start to rumble then their their mouths start to grumble and Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, it says, in the desert, the whole, commu the whole community, all right, think about this. If you're just around one person that gripes a lot, how many of you love that? Raise your hand if you love that. Okay, good. I would be really concerned if you like that, all right? This whole community, it says, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It wasn't just one, it wasn't just two, just one little group. The whole community is grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And just like we struggle when there's something that we think that we need, we have a difficult time getting our needs met. We struggle, and sometimes we have a bad attitude about that. This is exactly where Israel was. They were afraid of going hungry, and that fear of going hungry shifted their focus away from all of the good things that God had done for them. They forgot about all of the wonderful things that God had done for them up to that point, and instead of trusting in the God who had shown miraculous things and delivered them, provided freedom for them, so many other things for them along the way, they were willing to go back to slavery and put their trust in the enemy of God's people rather than putting their hope and their faith and their trust in God himself. Because the Israelites were listening to their bellies, instead of God, they came to the conclusion that Egypt could take better care of them than God could. In their time of need, they really thought, well, you know what? Hey, 
really, I know, you know, we're making brick all day long, and it's terrible. My back's breaking, and, and we don't even know what freedom is. I'd rather, rather go back there and experience that than what we're experiencing right now. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. Now look at Exodus 16, verses 4 through 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days, because he didn't want them to do anything on the Sabbath. So gather you know, uh, two on the sixth day so that they don't have to work on the Sabbath. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was, what the Lord, it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? This is what Moses is saying to the people. Who are we? Why are you griping at us? Right? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us. This is what Moses is telling the Israelites. You're not grumbling against us. You are grumbling against the Lord. And so the Lord, knowing that the Israelites are really just these spiritual babies, he hears their grumbling, and he decides to be gracious to them, and he provides for his children by sending them quail from the sky, manna from the ground. But Moses takes this opportunity to teach the Israelites about the toxic attitude that they have. And he's warning the Israelites, and he says, listen, um, this, this complaining amongst yourselves, this underlying murmuring that I'm hearing going on, this murmuring, when you, when you gripe like that, it's not against Moses and Aaron. It, it's against God. Your words are against the Lord. And, and he says to his people, is this who we are? Are we a people that are willing to grumble against the Lord's provisions? And here is what Moses understood, that the Israelites didn't quite get yet we become what we behold James chapter 1 in other words if we behold anger if that's what we're focusing on we become angry people if we behold envy we become uh, jealous people you know if we harbor frustration we transform into a quarrelsome person that keeps us from getting along with with other people when we do that sort of thing. Moses knew that if the people focused on grumbling, if they beheld grumbling, they would become a people that were far from the heart of the Lord. And so the early church leader, James, he understood this as well and spoke of this in a letter to the early church. He addresses his congregation. He found that this body of believers was starting to adopt a similar attitude that the Israelites had. had and, and James urged them as Moses did the Israelites he said guard yourselves against this type of attitude James tells his brothers and sisters in the Lord many of whom were infants in their faith just new Christians that even in the most significant of trials even when you're going through the darkest of times the most difficult of times you need to remain strong with an attitude of Christ Instead of griping about what's happening to you, instead of complaining about what you might not have, you need to have this strong attitude of thankfulness that you even have Jesus in your life. This is what James is saying. Well, James knew that if they didn't remain strong in the Lord, 
then they are going to become bound to the sin that was tempting them. And so here's what he says in verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Now, I just realized that's on the wrong, that, that's the wrong scripture up there. I sent you the wrong one, John. Just get rid of that. Close your eyes and listen. I looked up there, I'm like, that's not right. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I sent you the wrong one. Okay, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so any desire that tempts us, to put our faith in anything other than the Lord. For Israel, it was Egypt, right? They wanted to take their eyes off of the Lord. They wanted to put their faith in their... T- they were tempted to let Egypt provide for them instead of trusting in the Lord's promises. Anytime we do that, it has the potential to drag us away from what the Lord wants to do for us. It has the potential to drag us away from salvation. It has the potential to keep us from receiving the Lord's grace. And that could eventually lead to darkness and death, the Bible says. Well, the grumbling continued, okay? So they grumbled for a while. The Lord provides. It's it's a couple years later after their initial complaining. Israel's still really kind of a spiritual infant, but now they're under the guidance and the instruction of the law. And they've been in the wilderness about 800 days, and they'd had this manna, and they've had this quail every day except uh, the one day. And... uh, um, Israel should not have had this attitude of grumbling because the Lord was providing. The Lord was giving to them what they wanted. But in Numbers chapter 11, we read about the Israelites griping about the food that the Lord was providing for them. It wasn't enough that he was providing quail from heaven and, and manna was magically, miraculously appearing from the ground. It didn't matter. They didn't like it. They didn't want it. They were tired of it. It reminds me of, uh, I was in North Vernon. We had a concert featuring a very well-known Christian, contemporary Christian artist. And as part of the performer's contract, they sent a menu ahead. And we were to provide the type of food that this particular artist wanted on this particular night. It was in their contract called a writer. They had to have that, all right? Our youth group was really excited to feed this well-known contemporary Christian artist uh, dinner. The artist is walking through the line, filling their plate with the exact food that they asked for. And they looked at one of our kids and said, "Uh, spaghetti again? Yeah. Man, I wish you could have seen the look on our teenager's face who held this, this person in high esteem and I mean, his his heart was just crushed by the ingratitude of a well-known Christian artist. And this is what the Israelites were doing. What, manna again? Quail again? I don't like quail. Sounds like your kids, doesn't it? 
give me a chicken nugget and a pizza and I'll be happy, you know. A, but, but no, that's not, that's, not what, that's not what happened in here, right? Even though the menu was always the same, Israel living in the middle of the desert, they were never without food. And they begin to grumble and they begin to complain because of the same old stuff all the time. And the Bible says that the Lord burned with anger. And he demonstrated his anger by burning the camp's outskirts. Right? God doesn't like it when we complain. He doesn't like it when we moan and groan when he's provided so much for us. Okay, well, what, what exactly is? I mean, I know I can be a little bit edgy at times, but what exactly is grumbling and complaining? Well, to fully understand God's position, then we must examine what it means to grumble. Given how long Israel remained in the desert, consider the number of stories that were never told. Okay, so you've got all this time in the desert, and I'm sure that Moses had a lot more stories that he could have told about complaining and griping and Israel's lack of spiritual maturity. The Exodus story tells us there were so many arguments amongst the people. Exodus chapter 16, there were so many arguments amongst the people that Moses struggled to find the time to lead his people because everybody, all the time. You can quote me on that. That's in there, right? And so Moses, he appointed elders to oversee the social and the economic issues so that he could focus on leading God's people. Moses had stories to tell, but I think he deliberately left some of them out while he's writing the Exodus story because that's probably, I would have filled a whole lot more pages. But in the few stories that Moses did record, we see the, the grumbling nature of the Israelites. And this sly sin was starting to destroy God's new nation. And Moses understood that it had the capability of destroying all of God's people in the future. Why is that? Well, as we read in James, an attitude of ingratitude leads to sin. And that eventually pulls us so far away from the Lord that we no longer trust in Him. So what precisely is grumbling? Why is complaining so detrimental to our faith? Grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. To grumble and complain is to reject the grace of God. I think that's a biblical teaching. Israel's complaining surpassed their unmet physical needs and their murmuring was a faithless act that insinuated that God's provisions weren't good enough for them. Instead of being grateful for the daily drop of food from the sky and the, ground, or the, the meals that came up out of the ground, they had a desire to go back to slavery in Egypt and be fed there instead of accepting God's grace and His offer of salvation. Because Israel's salvation was dependent upon them trusting in the Lord and they chose not to. Grumbling takes the form of small sins that lead to bigger ones. You think about it for a moment. Discontent, fussiness, gossip, negativity, intolerance, impatience, uncompromising, unyielding mindsets and behaviors. 
Grumbling just kind of sneaks in in little ways and eats away at you and destroys you without you even realizing it. In essence, grumbling gives us a free pass to shift our focus from faith in God's provision to the problems of life. I urge you, don't buy into that. Right? It takes our problem at hand and it turns it into a spiritual issue of the heart which inevitably eats away at our recognition of God's grace in our lives. Israel imagined that they would be better off dying in the desert or dying in in Egypt than starving in, in the desert. They'd rather go back to being slaves under oppression than be free in the desert. And although it was apparent by His provision that God would not allow them to... God wasn't going to let them die in the desert. It was obvious. He wasn't going to let that happen. But they chose death by slavery rather than death by starvation. That's what they were thinking. And grumbling has the power to bring us to this place of ingratitude. It moves us backward in our thinking, ultimately backward in our living. To live without gratitude, to choose to grumble, that's living life backwards. That's not the way God wired us. It's not what He desires for us. And maybe you're saying, you're saying, well, I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to live my life going backwards. And maybe you're saying, well, how, how do I know if I am or not? Grumbling rejects gratitude and asks why. If you find yourself asking why a lot, why me or why not me? Why do you always bless them? Why don't you bless me? Why do they always get that? How come I never get this? And we start reflecting on this unquenchable emptiness that can form within when we ask why. When we start focusing on that, man, we're, we're setting ourselves up for, for a lot of struggle. This why, uh, why it, it, it comes from a place of, of discontent. I want to ask, are you content? Are you content in the Lord? Do you trust Him? Are you going to remain faithful through this, this whole thought process that says, God will give me everything that I need? Or are you going to hang on to the thought process that says, this isn't enough, this isn't what I wanted, this isn't what I asked for, this isn't how things are supposed to be, there's got to be something better than this. Why me? And we ask ourselves that question, that's grumbling. I don't want manna. I want Texas Roadhouse rolls. No? I'm, I don't want quail, I'm tired of quail. I want a 16-ounce T-bone. You know, I mean, that's what we do. Is there a sense of discontentment in your soul? Do you find yourself stuck in the why? I want you to closely examine your hearts and your thoughts this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. um, And I want you, while we play this song of decision this morning, I want you to, to ask yourself, where do I grumble? What are the areas of my life where I seem discontent? What, what are the things in my life that cause me to maybe complain? 
Ask yourself if you grumble a lot. Or do you look at your life and say, this isn't enough, or I'm not living in the circumstances I want to live in. I wish, I need, I want. If you're looking at other people's lives longingly, wanting their experience, their possessions, their spouse, their children, their house, their job, their friends, your focus is in the wrong place. A grumbling heart is the number one enemy of a grateful heart. The good news is you can change that. You can surrender your life to Christ. If you haven't already done that, you can, you can confess Jesus as the Christ and repent of your sins and be baptized into Him if you've not had the opportunity to do that. We encourage you to start there. I know that most of you in this room have probably already made that decision, but uh, along the way, you've kind of let some of those sly gripings come into your life and you really don't think about it all that much but it's kind of creeping in maybe you need to spend a little time this morning repenting of that maybe you need to spend a little time talking to God saying God I'm, I'm so sorry my focus is not in the, in the right place the beauty of the gospel of grace is just that it's freedom based on grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't have to earn your way. You just humbly confess your sins to God. And then do your best not to do it anymore. You practice this attitude of gratitude. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And um, we're going to sing a song of decision. And... Uh, as we sing this song, we encourage you to consider what it is that maybe you need to do this morning. Um, maybe there's uh, nothing you need to do publicly. You can do it right from your seat. I, I urge you, whatever it is the Lord's placing on your heart, talk to Him about that. Maybe it's something you need to do publicly. Um, maybe it's a decision to be baptized. Maybe it's a decision to rededicate. Maybe it's a decision just to say, God, I'm sorry, and you want to publicly do that. We're going to sing this song, and we urge you to, to make that decision. If you're watching online and, and uh, you want to make a decision this morning, you can text the word READY to our church connection number that you see on the screen. and We'll be glad to reach out to you and get with you. Um, but you come if you have a need. Let's